Not that we want to get all Pentecostal or anything, but this is our prayer of supplication. So if you feel comfortable, I've been in India quite a few times when they pray, they hold their hands out like this. So if you feel comfortable as we pray and ask the Lord to supply for all of our needs, you can hold your hands out in front of you like this. Lord, we know in the book of Psalms, um, we read recorded prayers and different postures, physical postures that David and others took when they prayed. Sometimes they prostrated themselves before you. Sometimes they prayed with hands held high. And Lord, even now as we come to you and we've um, asked you for forgiveness of our sins, we've thanked you for how you uh, have um, been so good to us for who you are. And now as we come, Lord, we confess that we don't have anything to offer to you. Lord, we have empty hands. And yet, Lord, we come to you as very needy people. And so, Lord, thank you that your word tells us that you supply for all of our needs according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we know that those are immeasurable riches. We know that in the book of Colossians, it says that all things, all things were made by him and to him and through him and for him. And so as we come to you today, we recognize that you have everything that we need. Thank you that in the book of Ephesians, it says that you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Lord, we praise you for those things. Thank you for how you've provided for us spiritually. Thank you for how you've provided for us physically. And yet even today, we are needy people. So as we now get ready to open your word together, would you teach us more about you? Would you convict us of sin? Would you uh, cause us by the power of your spirit to live a life that's more in line with the life of Christ? Would you grow us in sanctification for your honor and glory? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, it's a joy to be with you again. For those of you who don't know, my name is Tony Richmond. I'm one of the associate pastors at First Baptist Keller. And when Brother Casey and the others can't find anyone better to preach, they call me up. And I'm always glad to come and share God's word with you all. And so that's what we'll do today. So if you have a copy of God's word, open to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. If you find Jeremiah, you're close, right? If you find Jeremiah, you're close. We'll be in Lamentations chapter 3 today, looking specifically at verses 21 through 24. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. The title of today's sermon is Hope in God. Hope in God, Lamentations 21, I'm sorry, Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. 
Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Bad news first, okay. This is some pretty bad news, so hopefully you're ready for it. We deserve the full, just wrath of God. That's the bad news. Now, you ready for the good news? His mercies are new every morning. Isn't that good news? His mercies are new every morning. We love that verse, don't we? We put it in our homes. Maybe we have some scripture in the kitchen or by the front door, and it might even sees our new every morning. We might memorize that passage of scripture. We might put that passage on the rear view mirror in our car to remind us of this incredible truth that his mercies are new every morning. And yet, that passage of scripture is within a large text. It's placed in the midst of an incredible context of scripture. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's read our passage, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, hope in God. To lament is to cry out loud about it. In the book of Psalms, there are entire psalms of lament where we find David and others crying out to God over personal sin and over corporate transgression. To lament is to cry out to God. And we have an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, a series of cries being made to the Lord Um, The first five chapters of this book, of the book, I shouldn't say the first five, the only five in the book of Lamentations, record five divinely inspired yet sorrow-filled lamentations over the happenings of the nation of Israel. So let's be reminded of what was going on in the nation of Israel. You'll remember that God in his sovereignty sent many prophets to his people, the nation of Israel. And these prophets called by God to go these people and call them to repent, to call them to stop in this grotesque sin of idolatry and worshiping false idols, and to turn back to the God that had been so faithful to them. But the people were stubborn. 
The scripture says they were a stiff-necked people. Turned back. And so because of that, God sent destruction. God sent foreign nations to come in to their land to destroy much of their land and to take God's people captive. In the year 587, the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and totally annihilated the city of God, left it in ruins, took the the women and the children as slaves, and the men as slaves took them away from this city, God's people, and the city was left in ashes. And the book of Lamentations is this sorrow-filled cry out to God for what has happened. Look back in chapter 1, the book of Lamentations, starting in verse 1. Hear the desperation. This is the prophet Jeremiah, who if you know anything about the book of Jeremiah, was a from God, much like the called to go and ask on behalf of God to repent. And as far as we know, no one ever listened to Jeremiah. From church history and the ages and biblical evidence, not one person listened to the preaching of Jeremiah the prophet. And so because of that and because of this book of Lamentations, he got this nickname. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because there were literally times when we see him crying to the Lord. And here in the book of Lamentations, we see all of that. Look in verse 1. It says this, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who is great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. I mean, literally, Jeremiah is looking around in the city and there's just ashes. And he cries out and says, remember what we used to be. When we were walking in obedience with God, when we were trusting God, when we were pursuing our relationship with God, we were this great people of God. We had this incredible city. We had this incredible temple of God where his presence has resided and now we're like a widow. We've lost our first love. We have nothing. We used to be this great beacon of light that all the nations now we've become nothing. We have been made nothing. We used to be a princess, he says, and now we have become a slave. Look down in verse 12 of chapter 1. It says this, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see. 
if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me. Now, don't miss this phrase at the end of verse 12. Which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Look, Jeremiah was clear about what the source of all of this suffering was. The source of the suffering, God, God had done this to his people. God was angry with his people because of their constant rebellion. And Jeremiah clearly here in verse 12 says, the Lord has done this. Now, for us, we can learn from this as well. Look, we're tempted when we're going through difficult circumstances to be led to believe that we're being tossed around in this world in some random fashion and just bad things just seem to happen to us sometimes. And that's just life goes. No, according to scripture, according to Jeremiah, according to the whole counsel of God, within God's economy, listen, there is no random. There is no such thing as things that just happen to us. Either God caused it or God allowed it, but it's always on purpose. So Jeremiah, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, can say, look, this isn't happenstance. This isn't just coincidence. Look, this isn't even we failed to have a strong enough army. This isn't we didn't plan well. No, Jeremiah knows this is from God. And if we're to understand these circumstances, it has to start with that. This happened as a result of God's doing in the life of his people, the nation of Israel. Look over at chapter 30, verse 1. Not only did Jeremiah view this as a corporate thing, viewed this as an intensely personal thing. Now, we don't have time to go through all of this, but if you go back of Jeremiah, there were at least two or three occasions when I would go to the people of God, tell the truth about what God had told him to tell, and the people of God, listen, would put, They didn't want to hear it, so they would lock Jeremiah up. So Jeremiah experienced this personal persecution as well, but notice his tone. Lamentations 3.1, he says this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. Now, pause for a second. Jail back then was not like jail today. Right, when they put you in, it was likely a dungeon with no light, 
right? Secluded from everybody else. So he's recalling this. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Jeremiah was persecuted by God's people. He viewed that from God. God allowed these. Why would God do this? Since, look down in verses 16 through 18. Hey, cheer up, it gets worse. Chapter 3, verse 16, look, look at his language. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, listen to this, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Okay, time out, time out. Jeremiah is supposed to be a man of God a prophet of God who was faithful, who preached the word. Nobody listened to him. Yes, but full to the Lord, experiencing hopelessness. Hey, guess what? Jeremiah was a man like us. He was a man. He didn't have it all. He didn't have the strength. He tried but he didn't have, so he cries out to God. He says, God, I don't have this. This is too much for me. I'm hopeless. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some of you are here today. You're experiencing hopelessness. Life is too much for you. You don't know how you're going to persevere. Let me give you some encouragement. You're not alone. Jeremiah was there. Put simply, every true follower of Christ at one point or another has been there or will be there in their life. When we come to the end of our rope, when we come to the end of what we have to give within ourselves, we say, Lord, I can't give anymore. This life is too much for me. And guess what? That's exactly where God wants us. Y'all hear me? That's where God wants us. Because you know what position that is? A position of humility. A position of desperate. We don't come to God saying, Lord, I've got this. I just need a little more. Lord, I can do this life thing I just need you to come along and help me out. No, that's not the way the Christian life works. The Christian life says, I am void of any good. I'm void of any strength. I'm void of providing for myself any type of true hope. So that's why we come to God so desperately and say, we are hopeless without you. Just as Jerah Maya did. Hopelessness. Now look at verse 21. But this I call to mind. 
Jeremiah didn't stay there. He didn't stay in hopelessness. Here's the first point of today's sermon. Jeremiah started preaching to himself. Look at it. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Look what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Hey, I know we're not um, Pentecostal, like I said before. That's a great place to say amen. So let me just try it again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. There's the truth. Hey, all this is going on in my life. What what are we to do? Look at the truth. Here's a little illustration. In aeronautical terms, that when pilots are learning to fly and receiving their license and all of that, they have to become what's called instrument rated. Have y'all heard of that? So here's what happens. They have to learn to fly the plane solely based on the instruments in front of them. It tells them the altitude. It tells them the pitch of the plane. It tells them the direction that the plane could be going. Now, why is that important for a pilot to know? Well, because pilots have to fly through things like weather and turbulence. And if you talk to a pilot, here's what they'll say. If you solely depend on what you see out the window to fly, you'll crash the plane. Because sometimes what you see, listen, sometimes what you see is not reality. Sometimes there's going on outside the, and you think what you're seeing is real, but it's not. So you have to rely on the truth. You have to rely on this instrument, instrument panel in front of you in the same way as followers of Christ. We can't rely, listen, on what's happening, personal experiences. We don't live life based on personal experience. Ready? We live life based on the truth of who God is and the truth of his word. This is our instrument panel that we can trust that will help guide us when what we see out the window of our life. We have to rely on the truth. This is what Jeremiah does. He says, I don't have hope until I recall these things to my mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now let's think about that for a moment. What is the steadfast love of the Lord? Well, let's not confuse the love of the Lord with the love of man. Two different kinds of love, right? Biblically, when we talk about the love of God, we're eternal love of God that he places on his children the foundation of the earth. This is not 
an emotional response to something within us. This is based out of the will of God. God has chosen to love you. God has chosen to love us. Why? Because that's who he is. It's not because we're lovely. It's surely not because God sees something within us and says, oh, look, I can't live. The will of God, he's this choice to set his love on us. It's an act of his will. God loves us. Of course, ultimately, we see the love of God at the cross. I mean, John 3.16 says it. For God loved the world like this, that he gave us his one and only son. This is the love of God, that he paid our penalty on the cross through the death of his son. This is how we can see the incredible love of God. There's no hope until you understand God loves you. The simple yet powerful little kids Sunday school and VBS song, Jesus loves me. That's it. He does. And that gives us real hope. Not only that, Jeremiah goes on to say the second half of verse 22, he keeps preaching. His mercies never come to an end. Because he loves us, because he set his affection on us, get this, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Isn't that incredible? Are y'all with me this morning? He doesn't give us what we deserve. Were things bad for Jeremiah? Of course. The city's in ashes. The temple is gone. Smoke is, there's nobody there. There's hardly anybody left in the city. And yet, he says this, God still didn't give us what we deserve. Is that true in our lives? The mercies of God never come to an end. Well, here's evidence of it. You're here today. I mean, the Lord woke you up this morning. That's an evidence of his mercy. Even in the midst of bad things, Jeremiah is calling to recollection that although things are bad, God was still a God who was withholding what his people actually deserved. And this started giving him hope as he was reminded of these things. We read this passage at the very beginning of the service. Micah 7 verses 18 through 19 says, Who is you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love 
He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you all remember when the nation of Israel was wandering around in the wilderness and they didn't have any food? Do you remember how God provided food for them? Every morning they would wake up and walk outside their tents and there would be bread on the ground. And it was called manna. If you remember that instance, they would get the manna, they would eat it. But if they tried to store up the manna, it would spoil before the next day. God was teaching them a lesson about dependence upon him. In the same way here, Jeremiah uses this language when he says, your mercies are new every morning. Now, that's a paradox. If they're new, how can they be every morning? If it happens all the time, how can it be new? Well, here's what I think Jeremiah was getting at. God gives us for that day the mercy that we need to handle that day. God isn't God doesn't give us the strength and the mercy and everything we need for our entire He gives us enough for that day. Remember even Jesus spoke to this when he was teaching the disciples in the book of Matthew. He said, "Don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough trouble for itself." Then Jesus was saying the same. He was trying to get across the same point. We have to come back to God each day and say, "Lord, by your grace, I made it." And if you give me grace for today, I'll make it. I'll make it for today. But we don't become so overwhelmed at the next day, week, and the next month. God gives us mercy single day to persevere, to understand that we can make it with His strength and with His mercy. At those moments of desperation, we desperately need this truth. God will not expect you to carry one more straw on the load with these present mercies. He will always provide mercy for the load he intends for us to bear. bear. One pastor says it like this, and I think this is a good way to put it. You either live on God day by day or you don't live on God. Did you get that? We as followers of Christ either live on God day by day or we don't live on God. These things gave Jeremiah hope and look at his response 
at the end of verse 23. This is incredible. Somebody should make this a hymn. Great is your faithfulness. Do you Jen tone? Jeremiah begins in verse 22 speaking about God, speaking about love endures forever. His mercies never cease. They're new every, and all of a sudden now, Jeremiah is directing his conversation to whom? To God himself. He says, great is your faithfulness. You see what's happening here? Theology is never intended to be a means unto itself. Theology should always lead to doxology. That's a fancy way of saying the more and more we know God, we know about God, we grow in our understanding of God, the deeper and deeper our worship of God should be. That's what we see here with Jeremiah. Great is your faithfulness. What is he saying? Put simply, Jeremiah saying, I can trust the Lord. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. What promises of God come true? None of them. He's always been with us as a nation. He's always provided for us. He's always fulfilled his promises. A few passages of scripture. Psalm 119 verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. 1 Thessalonians 5 24 says, as he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. 2 Timothy 2.13, listen to this one. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. This is God. Some biblical scholars believe that when Jeremiah recalled these truths, he was to that point in the history of the nation of Israel where Moses came down from the mount with the law. And what were the people of God doing? They were worshiping this false idol. So as you know, Moses throws the tablets down. He goes back up on the mountain to intercede on behalf of the people for their sin. And while he's there, God speaks to him and proclaims these words in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, the history of the nation of Israel was a never-ending cycle of their sin, God's faithfulness. Just read 
Just open your Bible to any random section of the Old Testament and you'll see it. God's people have moments, crest him, and where they follow him and they pursue him. And then they have periods of time where they fall away. And they're entrenched in deep patterns of sin. And yet God remains faithful to them even though they are sinning against him. This is a never-ending replay of the same story. It's the same in our lives. Brothers and sisters, our lives are the same pattern. It's the same cycle. There are times when we're trusting the Lord, when we're following the Lord, when we're pursuing Him, and then there are times when we find ourselves entrenched in patterns of sin. What? Even in the midst of all of this, God is faithful to us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't push us away. He brings us near. How has God been faithful in your life? Look in verse 24. Jeremiah sums it up. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let me ask you a personal question today. Can you say that the Lord is your portion? Admittedly, we live in a lie, in a culture, in a world where lots of things vie for our attention and our affection. For Jeremiah, he says this The Lord has my attention. The Lord has my affection where I can say my portion is found in the Lord. Therefore, I can hope in him. Look, we have the rest of the story that even Jeremiah didn't have. He trusted in what he couldn't see, but we have Jesus. We've seen Christ. We have the testimony of Christ. We have the work of Christ. We have the life and the death of Christ. We have the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, we can have hope. Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Listen, so that you may not grow weary, so that you may not grow faint-hearted hope in Christ. This is good. We have real hope. We sing about this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. 
the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Listen, we sing these words. When darkness seems to hide his face, there it is. We look out the window. All we can see is darkness. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Brothers and sisters, listen. That's truth. That's God's word. And when we go through difficult times, that is something real that we can grasp onto. We don't have to live this fake life that says, look, as Christians, we don't struggle. Look, as Christians, we just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and grin and bear it. No, we go through difficult days, but listen, God is faithful. We serve a God who is real and a God who is alive and a God who is loving and a God who's been gracious to us. Therefore, we can have hope and we can cry out, great is your faithfulness. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for this incredible word from the book of Lamentations. Lord, it it is your word. And we can see within it how we are to preach truth to ourselves, how we're supposed to think deeply about the truth of who you are and who Christ is, and that gives us something real to hold on to. And Lord, out of that flows worship. Out of that flows a life that is totally submitted to you, and so we trust you in all and we say great is your faithfulness or help those not to only be words that come out of our mouths but real truth that flows through our lives in every way or to help us to not trust in what we can see help us to not trust in our own circumstances but in the clear message of who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray.